Montebello Church Sermons. I brought my water up with me. Occasionally I get a little thirsty after a couple hours, so... Um, <laughs> what a blessing. What a blessing to be in a place where we can dedicate one of our kids. And I say our kids because we are a community, and that's a big part of what I want to share with you today. Um, Anyway, it's good to be back with you. For those of you that may not be familiar, I'm Dan Mayhew. I hang out here, and they let me, which is, I guess, the only reason I'm you know, still here. They let me hang out, and I kind of enjoy you all. But I've been part of this congregation uh, for quite some time, a couple of, couple of decades, I think it's been. So anyway, it's always a privilege to be able to get up and share with you. We come down out of the hills. Some of you may know that we have sold our house here in Portland and moved to a place called Brush Prairie. And uh, in order to uh, build a little place where we can age in place. Does that worry any of you? <laughs> when you hear people talking like that, say, uh, hey, I'm going to give you a place where you can age in place. Well, I want you to know. I'm aging in place. <laughs> and for those of you who are in your 20s, you are aging in place. But anyway, we're, we're delighted to be up there, and, but it takes a little time to get down here, and it, we're not used to that. So anyway. Well, today we're going to be in Ephesians. <laughs> those of you who've been around a while say, oh, really? Duh. I'm glad you knew that, Dan, because we've known that for quite some time. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're getting there, if you assuming that you have a, um, what do they call this? This is a paper Bible. It's a book, bio-optical something knowledge device. So anyway, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, for those of you that maybe did not have not been aware of what the narrative arc of the book of Ephesians is, I want to go back and review it with you. Remember in the very first chapter, Paul announced to the Ephesian church, and let's pretend you're the Ephesians today, okay? You are the Ephesian church. And Paul announced by his letter to the Ephesian church that God had revealed himself in a mystery. That it had been a mystery for all of the, this time, all ever, ever since Genesis, the mystery had been that eventually God was going to bring all things together in heaven and in earth under one ruling authority. And the ruling authority was, hello, Jesus, yes. The ruling authority was Jesus. And he said, that's what God's up to, has been, will be. And beyond that, he's going to do something even more. He's going to prepare an army, a group of people who are going to be able to come out and participate in what God is doing. So he was calling a group of people to a mission. And he was calling them out of the world. And he was calling them together to be working together under the authority of Christ. We call that coming Two, coming out, coming together, we call that the church. And so that fits, the, you fit the description. You've been called to the thing that God is doing right now. You have become called out of the world, and you have been called together 
to do something that God has prepared for you to do. He said it in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe. He said, the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do them. We've all been called into that, to something special, to something good. Called to, called out, called together. And where we are in Ephesians chapter 4 is we're going to dwell a little bit more on that part of being called out. And let's go ahead, and I'm going to uh, pre-summarize where we're going with this. The first couple of verses, starting in verse 17, the first couple of verses we're going to, we're going to look at are really a contrast. It's a contrast. It sets up the thing that we are to be different from. Well, that's the first two verses. The second two verses is the key to that transition. How do we become called out? What are we called out of? And how do we get out? And the final two is how do we take action? What does the action look like? Okay, so that's where we're going. We're first looking at the contrast, then looking at the key, then we're looking at the action that's, been, that's required of all of us. So, let me go ahead and start reading. And I'm just going to, we won't get far, trust me, before I'm stopping. So just brace yourself. Thus I say, therefore, okay, stop. <laughs> Remember what happens every time you see the word therefore. What's it there for? In other words, it always invites us to go back, back, to, dis to find out what happened just before Paul wrote this. And so let's go back to uh, verse 15. Let's do that. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by which that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Therefore, see that's what Paul is saying. He says, therefore, there's something that's required of you. And we, we ask the question, well, what is it, Paul? Thus I say, therefore... And affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Let's just stop right there again. Paul says, I affirm together with the Lord. Some of your translations say testify. Some of your translations say insist. In other words, what Paul is saying is I insist along with the Lord that you walk different. It's part of what's required of you as those who have been called out. So I insist in the Lord that you don't walk in the manner that the rest of the nations walk in. And that's important because here is apparent that Paul has been in touch with the head office. And he knows through dialogue and conversation with the Lord himself, that what he's calling his people to do, what he's calling the Lord's people to do, is nothing less than to live differently than they've, all, they've ever lived before. Did you know you've been caused, called to live differently? You probably do. I th think sometimes that we don't fully understand the consequences. But Paul has said, I've been in contact with the Lord and he and I agree. Now, there are times where Paul says, I really don't have a word from the Lord on this. You know, you've, you've 
perhaps stumbled on one of those passages where Paul says, don't really know for sure what the Lord thinks about this, but I'll tell you what I think. Well, this time he says, no, I am with the Lord, and we're both in on this. You need to be ready not to live in the way that you used to live. Don't live as the Gentiles, the nations. Now, you remember what, what uh, God did at the point of Tower of Babel. Do you remember that? Everybody was working together. They were building a big tower. They were going to get to heaven any way they could. They ignored all of the things that the Lord said about going out into the land and be fruitful and multiply and all of that. They ignored all of that and they began working together. And God says, I'm not going to allow them to work together like this because if they continue in that kind of togetherness, that kind of cooperation and unity, there's nothing that will be impossible for them. And I think I've pointed out and I'm going to point it out again. There is incredible power in unity. Even in their disobedience, God recognized the incredible power that he invested in the human race if they would but learn to walk, live, and be unified together. And he said, I can't let that happen while they're in disobedience. So he scattered them, scrambled their brains so they couldn't understand each other's language. They couldn't cooperate together. And so they became what the Bible often calls the nations was also referred to as the Gentiles because God turned his attention to one group of people, the children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They became his nation, the people of God. But now remember what's happened in these first three chapters of, of Ephesians. God has called people out and together. And now he has another nation or better, better put, an expanded nation that not only includes those people who are natural descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's calling, he has called a group of people out and together to be his nation. You understand that? That's you. That's y'all. That's you Ephesians. He says, but don't walk, so don't walk like you used to, like you used to, in the futility of their minds. Hmm. Some translations say worthless thinking. <laughs> so what about this futility of our minds? Basically, he's saying that it's not going anywhere. The way you used to think, it's not going anywhere. You know, it's uh, kind of... In, you you want to know what that sounds like? Here, let me, read, let me read you a quote from Bertrand Russell. Some of you may be familiar with this quote. It's from a piece that he wrote called, wait for it, Litany of Despair. And here's what he wrote. That man is the product of causes which had no provision of, of the end they were achieving. That is, origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, and his beliefs are but outcomes of an accidental collocation of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. 
and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Do I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> no. <laughs> but if you want a definition of futility, there it is. Now, you would think that a man like Bertrand Russell, as intelligent as he, as he was, and he was extremely intelligent, very, very intelligent man. I, I wouldn't argue that he was wise, but he was intelligent. You would have thought a, a guy like that with that kind of a worldview might have taken his own life, but he didn't. He lived to be 97 and died of the flu. <laughs> so, but he has so eloquently defined what Paul is saying here. Stop thinking that way, folks. There's more to it than that. There's more to it than going to, the, going to the end of your life, breathing one last breath, closing your eyes, and that's the end of it. One child left in the world to carry on, to carry on, until the solar system collapses in on itself, and it's all for nothing. Paul says, don't think like that. It'll make you crazy. You know, this is not the kind of thing you needlepoint. <laughs> you know, put on a pillow. <laughs> Rather, Paul is inviting us to do something different. And, and folks, I've got to tell you, the whole world, if they don't think this way, and I, I would have to say probably fewer people think this way than think in other ways. You know, Paul talks about talks about the fact that there is ignorance in the world. People are not necessarily stupid, but they can sometimes say that, well, I'm spiritual. And that's a very popular thing to say right now. Are you spiritual? That's a good thing, right? Well, it depends on what you believe in. A lot of people that are spiritual. But Paul is saying here that there is a different focus on what we believe. And it matters a great deal what in the unseen realm you attach yourself to. That matters a great deal. I remember a while back, well, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was the week of 9-11. Of, uh, was that 2001? And I don't know whether you remember the experience, but that had everybody deeply, deeply introspective at the time. I mean, people were meeting in their neighborhoods with people they scarcely knew for having a having a vigil. Well, I remember I attended one. I can't remember exactly where it was, in the West Hills somewhere. And I remember we gathered, and they had speakers to, to reflect on the meaning of what this cataclysmic event had, had what the meaning was. And so they had, they had Christian pastor. They had a Buddhist. They had a Hindu. They had a Native American all talking about the spiritual impact of what had happened. They made sure that every conceivable religious flavor and, and type was included there. And then on the way, as they dismissed us, we went our separate ways, and over the loudspeaker came the humanist hymn of our time. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. You remember John Lennon's Imagine? It was played at the Olympics. 
And I thought, what utter hypocrisy I have just witnessed. We were so very careful to include the, the ideas, thoughts, and understandings of every conceivable religious tradition. And then at the end, imagine. No heaven, no hell, no religion, too. And I thought, what utter, utter hypocrisy. Irony, yeah. Hypocrisy, probably. And this is what Paul says. He says, I insist together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. Wow. That sounds like a real condemnation, doesn't it? An indictment against everybody in the world except us. And that's what gets us into trouble. Because to live as we choose to live, as Paul says that we are instructed to live, not as the Gentiles do, but as this new race of people do, is, is if we are to live that way, we are going to find ourselves unacceptable to the nations, unacceptable to the Gentiles. And my question to you is, and gee, I wish I could be a little more encouraging, are you ready for that? Are you ready to be the despised minority? Some of you may have noticed that we're kind of moving in that direction. Have you? Now my question is, are you ready? Are you ready to put your faith in the creator of the universe? Are you ready to put your faith in his redemptive plan? Are you ready to put your faith and throw in your faith with the redeemed? in the service of the king. Are you ready? Because those on the outside, they are, they are looking towards two outcomes. Either that utter futility or deception. Either we have accepted the fact that it's all coming to nothing or we are tethered as Brian said a few weeks ago, you're tethered to something else. And um, my goodness. You know, as I was looking at this passage, knowing I was going to have the dubious honor of preaching it to you, <laughs> I realized that so much of what we're experiencing right now has to do with that ignorance and the hardness of heart. You know, Paul goes on to say in verse 18, he says, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance and the hardness of their heart and having become calloused. Calloused? What does that mean? I have a little daughter that goes, a granddaughter rather. Yes, I am that old. I know it's hard to believe. Um, and she goes everywhere barefoot. She walks across the gravel in the driveway, just, you know, just prancing along there like, hey, look at me, I'm barefoot, and I'm walking on very sharp rocks that would have reduced you to tears, Grandpa, <laughs> if you had tried this. And, you know, I, I'm guessing that if I looked at her little feet, they would all be calloused. They would have calluses built up so that she's, you know, can walk on hot coals, probably. 
And I'm thinking, what that means is that her feet have become so callous that she's really past feeling anything down there. Or if she does, it's, it has to be pretty sharp. Matter, have to, matter of fact, it has to be pretty intense. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying those people who are living outside of the hope and the calling of Christ have become calloused. They can walk on the hot, sharp coals of this world, and they don't feel anything. And when they do want to feel something, they want it to be intense. And so this is why Paul writes... And he says, they've become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Whew, what a statement that is. But what he's saying is, what do you have to do when your heart has been hardened by the, the desperation of hopelessness or the uncertainty of what lies beyond this life? What do you have to do to be sure that you can still feel? There's a, um, a song that I think was originated by Johnny Cash, and I can't remember the name of the song, but the first, the first line of the song is, I hurt myself today to make sure I could still feel. Had to do with heroin addiction. So what do we have to do to make sure we can still feel? What kind of sensuality do we have to practice? What is going on in the world is probably has something to do with that. What do I have to do so that I can still feel? Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's... drugs maybe it's that maybe it's pornography what do you have to do what is, do people have to do to make sure to get through the callousness and the fact is all of those appetites happen and feeding an appetite never makes it go away you notice that feeding an appetite only makes it stronger and that's why Paul can say what he's saying. He is saying, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. What's greediness? Wanting more. You know, there's more to greed than money. You know, you can always want more. That's greediness. That's what Paul is saying. Saying the more calloused we become, the more intense the, the, the requirements are to satisfy us. And so it turns into greediness. We've got to have more. We've got to have more. Small wonder that Paul says, me and the Lord, we've got a message for you. Don't live like the Gentiles live. Don't live like you used to live. Guess what? You have a future and you have a hope and you have a capacity to be different than you've ever been. That's an amen. That's an amen. You have a capacity that perhaps you don't even know you have. But the fact is, some people have given up. And this is why we really need to be compassionate. Though Paul has called us out of the, the culture that we're in, out of those who are outside of God, out of the nations, though he's called us, does not mean that we don't have compassion. 
And we need to always be ready to receive someone, even when they are in the depths of callousness, ignorance, and despair. We need to be ready to receive them into our midst. They might even make a mess when they come. They might even offend you. Because that's, well, that's where they've been. But we are intentionally needing to be open to, to, to those people who are also coming out. I think he, he's also talking to all ages. You know, sometimes we as older people, I think sometimes we as older people kind of let up. You know, there are three sins of old age. Apathy, laziness, selfishness. That isn't to say we are all not vulnerable to those things kind of reverting back to the way we used to live among the Gentiles. But as older people, sometimes we let ourselves off the hook too easily. And so, as I speak to us, I want to speak to the whole generation of those here. Did you all know you were the same generation? You know why? Because you all live at the same time. We are a generation in the eyes of God. And I'll tell you what generation he's looking, he's looking to, to return to. It's the generation where the hearts of the fathers are turned to their children and the children to the fathers. That's why I can say, this is our generation. I don't care whether you are 85 or 15. We all share this same space together. God has called us all to be a community together. We are desperately in need of one another. If we are going to be in service of the king, we need to make sure that we understand our place among the redeemed. And essentially what Paul is inviting us in, into, what Jesus is inviting us into, is to gain access to the ability that we have Remember when he, when he said that people are unrestrained, they are, what's the, well, let's just go ahead and quote it. They've given themselves over to sensuality for the, every kind of impurity with greediness. And he's saying, but you're not supposed to live that way. What are you supposed to live like? You're supposed to live like the fruit of the Spirit. Remember Paul says that there's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. You say, okay, remember the song. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you have to sing the song every time you try to remember the fruit of the Spirit? Doesn't matter. You can sing it all you want, but notice what the last fruit of the Spirit is, self-control. What's Paul and Jesus inviting you Ephesians into? exercising self-control when you didn't need to do you used to do that that wasn't something you really needed to do verse 20 you didn't learn the messiah in that way okay now we have moved from that which we are contrasted with into the key to stepping out of this and exercising the capabilities and the capacities that you have been given by the Spirit. He says, you didn't learn Christ in this way. 
If indeed you heard and have been taught in him as truth, as the truth is in Jesus. He's saying you've left a law behind the life of futility and ignorance. He says now you are buying into, you are accepting the truth that is in Jesus. And so he says you begin to practice a certain different way of living because don't make any mistake when he says that we are to be stepping out of the of the if we're going to be stepping out of the way of the nations we're going to be stepping into something that's different it's actually quite different and some of us maybe even doubt the way that the fact that we can do it so you say I still have problems with some of this stuff I still kind of think like the way I did when I was out there in the, in the Gentile world, in the, in the nations. And what Paul is saying here, the, impl- the implication is, you can do this. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. I really, I call this Dumbo theology. Remember the story of Dumbo? Little elephant with big ears, you know, he's always tripping over him tripping over the years. He's really a laughing stock of everybody. Poor Dumbo. And then I can't remember how he got up into the, into the rafters with a magic feather, as I recall. Am I getting the story right? It's kind of, okay. Anyway, he's got a mad, magic feather. And he discovers when he like falls or something out of, the, out of the top of the tent, he discovers his ears spread out and all of a sudden, He's dive-bombing the crowd, and everybody is ecstatic because Dumbo can fly. It's the elephant that can fly. And at first, he has to have the magic feather, and then he, does, then he realizes after he drops it that he still can fly. And you're saying, what are you talking about, Dan? <laughs> well, we're all Dumbo. That's what I'm talking about. You got these big ears with which you heard the message of God that said you are his children. And God is saying, spread your ears, brothers and sisters. Listen first and then take off and fly. Can you live outside of the way you used to live when you lived among the nations? Not only can you step out of it, you can fly. You have access to the the fruits of the Spirit, including self-control. All of those things. Put this in a margin in your Bible. Just put Dumbo theology. (laughs) Then verse 22. Now we're getting into the action. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. See, it's, it's all fitting together with what he just said. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now Paul said to the Romans something very similar. He said that he encouraged them to, well, let's just go ahead and go there. Romans 12. Romans 12, Paul's letter to the Romans, 
starts this way. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God in the present, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Notice it's a plural bodies, but a single sacrifice. I think it has something to do with the community of the saints living as they've been called to live as the body. But he said, a holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some translations, New Living Translation, are really like changing the way you think. That's what it says in the New Living. The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. But notice he uses some of the same phraseology that he uses talking to you Ephesians. He's talking about the importance that we be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know what that means? That means whatever it is we've been called to, brothers and sisters, whatever it is that we have been called to be outside of the way we used to live, whatever that is, it starts here. It starts in changing the way you think. And when Paul identifies that whole process in Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed. That sounds like you've got a choice, right? Just like he's saying here, don't live as the Gentiles live. Don't live as you used to live. Don't be conformed. That means it's a choice. Then he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if you can make a choice not to be conformed, can you make a choice to be transformed? And the answer is yes. Why? Because God has offered you transformation if we will just take it. We can fly. And if you weren't aware of that, yes, you can. But it starts here. It starts here when, some, when you're in your head, you, you are told that you are not loved by God, and then you stop, change your thinking. Yes, I am. And it can, we could probably, there's a whole, we could probably preach a whole week, night after night, on ways that we use our mind to open up to the Spirit. But it starts in here, the renewing of the Spirit of your mind, which calls us then to live differently than we used to live. Now, here's the tough part about this whole this whole group of verses. Do you understand the implications? That the implications are that if we're going to be different from the rest of the world, that means the world can't come in just as it is. That means we are exclusive. Boy, did I just say something that gets us in a whole heap of trouble because we all know that everybody stands up and salutes and says amen when we say we are inclusive. But that's not the way it is. I'm sorry. But there are certain things that, that don't belong in the, in the community that has stepped out of the way of the nation. As I like to say, is sometimes you just can't bring your pets. I may have told you the story. We had a, we had a, I was having lunch with a number of pastors, and we were talking like pastors do, you know. And somebody picked up on the fact that we were pastors, or at least might be familiar with praying. And a couple, a couple, a young couple came up, 
said that they were dealing with some life-controlling issues and they needed to go into a halfway house. And they had a dog that they really, really loved. But the dog didn't get along with other dogs. Scarcely got along with other people. The owners were fine, but anybody else in, in the house was in danger. And it finally came down to this. You can stay, but you can't bring your pets because your pets don't play well with the, with the culture of this community. And they were devastated. They, didn't, they knew that they had to get rid of the dog that they so dearly loved, but they knew they couldn't bring him. See, and this is what's happening. As we take our place in a community, we are able to welcome people, but they can't always bring their pets. And that makes us exclusive. People don't like that. The world doesn't like that at all. You know, that Jesus said on, an, on a couple of occasions, go and sin no more, is something that we don't like to really think about. You mean there's requirements? There are things that we ought to do? Yes, Paul said so. He said, step out of the world that you were a part of. Don't live as you used to live. But live as what you've been called to be and to do. He says, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then he talks about laying aside a falsehood. Basically, he's talking about all those things that we put aside so that we can be together. Now, here's where I want to finish today. I want to point out that what we've been called to as an exclusive community is not going to make you popular. We have to be ready for that. And if we are going to be able to make it through the, the days that lie ahead, and they're not going to get any easier for you and for me, we have to be confident not only in our king but in our community. And the time is now to begin to strengthen yourself in the community that God's given you. I think that's the reason for all of the transitions, for those of you that are a regular part of this church family. All of the transitions we're going through have to do with strengthening the infrastructure that's necessary for you all to draw nearer to one another. Because as you draw near to, to, to one another, remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4? He said that as we become, as we draw together as the body of Christ, the strength comes from wherever, whatever joint supplies. So I want to encourage you to begin drawing closer to each other. Don't just leave this room and say, I've done my bit for the week. No, you have been called into community. You have to have a conviction of corporateness. I'm just telling you that the world is not going to necessarily like you because of who you are, having rejected the way you used to live. And so if you're going to have the strength, the power, the capability, the capacity to live honestly in the world that we're in, then you need to be able to lean on one another. You know, sometimes Jody and I were talking about this on the way. Sometimes you say, well, it, when it comes down to it, I'll live in a tight community. When it comes down to it, 
I will live in a corporate expression of the body of Christ. When it comes down to it, well, I'm here, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's coming down to it. Have you found a church of two? Somebody that you check in with. I talked about this months ago. Have you found a church of two? Somebody that you get in contact with every day? Be honest with where you are. Be honest with some of those old stinking patterns that you, you still can't seem to shake from out of the world. Or are you encouraging one another? Are you giving each other a word of encouragement? David White wrote a poem called Loaves and Fishes. He says, this is not the age of information. It's not the age of information. Forget the news. Forget the TV. Forget the blurred screen. This is the season of loaves and fishes. People are hungry. And one good word is bread for a thousand. Practice among yourselves, brothers and sisters, bringing the good word. And then let that word empower you as you go out into the nations. Let that word empower you. And let it be multiplied by the hand of God into bread for a thousand. So as you read these, chapter, these chapters and verses, and particularly these that we have seen today, just remember, you are called to be an exclusive bunch. And within this community, there, yeah, there's some house rules. You've got to take off your shoes when you go into some people's houses. Okay. Maybe that's kind of what we're like sometimes. You know, we insist you take off your shoes. But you come in anyway. Because we would love to receive you and to show you a truth that we have found. And so Paul calls us. And he insists upon it with Jesus. No matter how much the world insists the opposite, he and Jesus say we insist upon it. That you step out and live differently than the way the Gentiles live. Step out of the nations and into the community of the kingdom. Let's pray. Master, we are so grateful that you have called us to be in community. We are grateful that you have given us the capacity to move forward by the renewing of our minds. Lord, help us. Help us to live and shape our lives according to the truth that you have given us, that you love us, that you've called us to, to significance, that the world is not a futile place, but it is on the way to becoming a unified kingdom and creation under one ruling authority. We declare, Lord, our allegiance to you. Amen.